you to love every part of myself got my confidence with no help don't need no one else to see that i'm the baddest in this beat yes mind body soul is on fleek yes sequel beauty in the way i look and think yes i'm the light now watch me shine bright celebrating elements i keep my mind right that's right i'm my own hero calling me a dumb but what's the dumb to zero i'm a full cypher but no you can't wipe her cause these days a fuck boy is hard to decipher uh. Self-love is all I need to find my inner peace. I see the pain decrease when I focus on me, 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 I can arch my back to a back bend, and you can pay me back on the back end. Cause you know a queen statue And I get it from my mama, no past tense Follow, sequence And channel life down low And if they have us fucked up, we some pharaohs My mama taught me, believed that I'm the baddest in this beat Yes, mind, body, soul is on fleek Yes, sequel beauty in the way I look and think Yes, I'm the light that shines in the night Celebrate the elements that keep my mind tight That's right, I'm my own hero I got the vision, read you like a tarot. I'm a high beacon to heat to my teachings. Cause these days they silence our power, our breathing. Yeah, self love is all we need to find our inner peace. I see the pain decrease when I focus on me, 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 me. When I focus on me, 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 yeah. Be selfish most of the time. I be selfish if I can't help myself. I know that I'ma be helpless. Always make the same mistakes. Heartbreak, heartbreak. And if love is what you make, I have the tendency to give too many fucks and to gravitate to niggas rolling up, lift them up to the home. But it's life I'm building up my own throne. It's your right to love yourself. You have to recognize. Be about it, pray about it, do your exercise. Maybe get fly, be the apple of your eye. Be the light, the sweetness in your life. Be the bark and the bite, the sugar and the spice, young star. You already know who you are. Transforming, changing, higher, spiraling higher. Transforming, changing, higher, spiraling higher. We're all meant to be transformed. Transforming, changing, higher, spiraling higher. Change. Transforming, changing, higher, spiraling to waste a time Save your whistles and bells I have no time for that I'm only trying to free my mind Life is too short to be playing around with the sweet divine Straight up and down there's a balance that ensures I'll be just fine You knew I would. I wanna grow forever. 
Day Play FM. This is Issa on Rhizomatic Radio. It feels great to be back in the studio. I just wanted to start off the show with thanking Tongo Eisen Martin, who was last week's or last show's guest, and all the wonderful people who listened to our show and have been giving us feedback and comments. So go ahead and check out the archives because you can you can listen to all the shows. And we've only had three. Um, today is a really exciting one because joining me in the studio is my very own mother. <laughs> Hello. Um, yeah, so this is really exciting because I, the first show I kind of went into the inspiration for Rhizomatic Radio and the name, um, but I think it was, it was really emerged from a personal story of feeling like an outsider and having an experience of feeling in between many worlds growing up and still to this day, and a lot of that was... Um, inspired by you um, and dad and like just kind of our family culture and history so it's really exciting and an honor to have you actually joining me in the studio to talk about your own experiences um, which I feel like you do so well so I know you and I have the great privilege of being of you but for those of um, and a lot of the listeners know you as well but for the listeners who don't know who you are can you give us like what would be like your 15 second bio not necessarily of accolades but of like your the favorite things about you and then we're gonna I'm gonna ask you kind of to to speak on your own experiences being rhizomatic that's tough to put (laughs) it in 15 seconds but no I I think that I I I am happy to be from different worlds and to have rich influences from my native Uruguay 
that uh, is the place that actually formed my identity. And then to have spent over 40 years in this country, traveling in different, in different regions of the country to finally settle more permanently in the Boston area. But I think that what um, gives my deeper sense of identity is actually to be your mother and to have a family that became my solid ground. So um, it is a pleasure to be with one of my rhizomes here. I'm not paying her to say any of this. <laughs> um, yeah, I was excited because, yes, yeah, so much of my childhood was people not understanding what Uruguay was and not really having a reference point. And even to this day, I think I th we were talking about this last night, but Jose Mujica got some news and it was, you know, it was honestly pretty superficial because it was around legalizing marijuana um, and it wasn't even going in depth into like his own um, personal history in the political being a political prisoner for 12 years and there is a, a film out now that as we were speaking about only goes through the male political prisoners but um a lot of people even my close friends have no context for the country so i am curious you don't have to speak to the history of the country but even your experience feeling more rhizomatic like speaking to your childhood and the the ways in which dictatorship kind of interrupted it and created a catalyst for the rest of your life that you couldn't have anticipated Absolutely. You know, Uruguay is a very small country. It's what they call a buffer state. So it's a small country between two giants, Argentina and Brazil. So we always felt like the, we were the, the, the little country that's always looking outward yeah. because we were so small. And so and my own personal history, the history of our family is also a history of immigrants, you know, people that came from Spain uh, looking for a, a better world, either for economic reasons or for political reasons as Republicans escaping from Frankist uh, Spain. Hmm. So um, the, what formed my core identity was those years in Uruguay in the, in the 1950s, and I'm dating myself, but you know, <laughs> in the 1950s and to the mid 60s, which was a time where, you know, it was relatively calm and we lived in a, a small neighborhood, a small community that was very supportive. It was an ideal place for, for a child to grow up. And actually, we didn't have much of a sense of economic differences. It was just pretty much middle class, no lower to upper middle, no upper, but middle class, yeah. solid middle class. And so this formed that identity, a sense of connection with the, with the sea, with the Rio de la Plata, with it, an estuary, you know, that opens up into the Atlantic Ocean, a sense of uh, families, a school that was extremely nurturing, and, and a really sense of happiness, a happy childhood. Um, and uh, then this rupture of a a military dictatorship that erupted due to you know a, a, a process that was that was happening you know that I'm not going to go into but you know people needing better wages better economic conditions and so they, and it was they, part of operation condor yeah, was sweeping yeah, all well of that was later that was post-dictatorship oh, okay. post but you know so then we were young we were very truly very innocent and we believed firmly that we could create a better world in which everybody would be equal we would have this new man and new woman that was that would be based in 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 a, a sense of justice and equality and then we were confronted with utter violence and destruction that was completely out of our ability to understand. And that's why a whole generation was crushed. Either some were physically crushed by being jailed or tortured or disappeared, and others, like myself, by being forced into exile. So, you know, that was the first rupture, the big rupture. Yeah. And then, of course, it's different when you leave the country because you want to go and then right. you have a plan, but it's, it's the experience of exile that way is different. And we've been having conversations our whole life, but especially in the last decade around kind of the double-edged sword of memory. There's like the personal memory that shapes you and then 
potentially genetic memory that gets passed on through your children, which is the imprint of experiences that I never lived through, but that I intimately am shaped by. And then the generational scale or the scale of a country. Um, and also speaking to exile, which is, it, it does in the terms of being forced away from your country, we've been kind of exploring this idea of what does it mean to forge belonging to that place or, or yeah, or use memory as kind of like a glue to that place when you're you're not allowed to participate in it, in it anymore. What was it like for you kind of being in New York and being removed, but still having, you know, close friends and your closest people, some were already still in prison. Mm -hmm. So like, how was that experience as an exile living in New York and also being elsewhere mentally and emotionally? Yeah. Well, I think it, it is very challenging, and, and especially now where we have so many refugees everywhere, it, it's important to try to understand that situation because on one side, you are living in the, in the past. You know, you're still connected to what is happening to the people that you left behind, and you feel that you, you really need to be there. And on the other hand, you're not. Yeah. So you, you are faced with a completely different reality. You need to actually accept that to function and to to make a new life for yourself. So you're always like in in between realities and you're trying to forge a new identity, but it's a very hybrid identity. Yeah, I think that, sh yeah, even when I was like a really young child, I feel like that was the thing that m resonated with me the deepest mm -hmm. was like the in-betweenness feeling of not, necessarily calling anywhere specifically home mm -hmm. but having to figure out where home could be in the mind or within affections for people <clears throat> and, and i think that's why probably the the identity of a person who's an exile is just a, a kind of an itinerant identity you have to it's like a turtle <laughs> your father loves turtles but you carry your house <laughs> with you so once your your original home is taken away from you, you you have to carry your home with you. So I don't really think that I am particularly attached right now to any geographic location, but you know my identity or my home is that sense of belonging to the people that I love. So wherever they are, that's where home is, and that's what. But that's an evolving identity. That is not you know you don't you don't come to that conclusion right away and it's not an easy process. It's not a Disney channel. <laughs> and it's also, I think, the, the going back after a, a period of time, like, you know, I went back to Uruguay after the 12 years of dictatorship, so you were not part of the process of those 12 years. You were dealing with another reality. So when you go back, you go back to actually to a country that is different than the one you left behind. So you are trying to recapture oh, what I remember, but that doesn't exist anymore. So yeah. you realize that actually you're not part of this new country that is emerging. And all the, 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 the moments that marked that new identity, you were not there, you were not present. You may have supported it at a distance, but you were not part of it. So, so that's still, it's yours, but it's not yours. So it's, it's dual. Yeah. I spent some time there with you and grandma in January and now the elections are coming up on Sunday and we were talking with grandma too about that relationship between the younger generation and a lot of the voting population and the kind of maybe potentially the lack of memory mm -hmm. of um, your generation's trauma and experience. And so how do you think that could potentially influence the election results? Like, do you think that people are going in the voting booth with amnesia or with a sense of a sketch of what the country's been through? I think that they are trying now to remind people of a lot of these, but we will see it may be a very tight Race. race. But one of the things that's happening right now is a referendum for so-called security. And what they want to do is to put back measures that were happening during the dictatorship, like the ability of police to enter into homes without a judicial order uh, and, 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 and take people, arrest people at night, for example, which was something horrible. But if you don't have a memory for it, you may think, well, you know, that's what that would make us safer. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's not, that's not the, the case. So we will see how that memory works. And 
if you are able to convey to the younger generations who have not lived that and you know what what was the experience of that knowing that at any time somebody could come while you are sleeping and take you away you know so we will see yeah I'm curious I was um, and then we're gonna listen to some music that kind of goes into some of these like ideas but um, one of the things that struck me was we actually went to get the necklace I'm wearing right now we went to get the chain at this mall um, and then when we were in it, we, I think we were approaching the mall and you gave me the background and the context mm. that that mall was in fact where Mojica yes. um, had escaped from and it yeah. was a prison yeah that was that was the um Punta Carreta's jail, and that's where the famous escape through a tunnel to a house across the street. So this place was a place of history, main news worldwide, and now it is the biggest <laughs> shopping center. So if you're a young person who only knows this place as a shopping as center, a mall. as a mall, you, you know, you have no idea. There is a plaque right now that commemorates what it was, but nobody reads it. Right. So we'll see. That's why memory sometimes it is important, it's, it's essential to remember, but certain elements are almost non-transferable. You know, you can, you can, we need to be informed by history and we need to keep reminding people so that they don't repeat things. But many times uh, it's, it's hard to understand for, for a generation mm -hmm. that has not experienced anything similar or who has grown in abundance. Yeah, and then, it often becomes, I can speak to my generation, there does become this reenactment of kind of a distorted or false romanticized version of memory. I know my generation, a lot of the times I feel that we have been left to um, reenact almost like stage pageants of an idea of the 60s and the civil rights movements. Literally when it comes down to how we dress, or protest language, it's very recycled. And I think it's it's a complex reasons why, but I think that memory is complicated by the fact that a lot of the players of that time were actually repressed, imprisoned, and killed. And so the they don't live to tell the story. So even the ways in which the stories are transferred are often distorted in and of themselves, and they're either romanticized and we don't really get to see the nuances of those people, which is really instructive, right? Yes. Because to, to know the challenges and to know intimately the struggles will make us improve and elaborate on those social movements. Absolutely. But I think when I think we have to be compassionate about why sometimes history repeats itself is because there are so many murders and there are so many assassinations, especially of the era above me. So we're not in conversation with our elders. We're not in conversation, and, and sometimes we are, but that's such a heavy burden on the survivors mm -hmm. to try and remember a time of extreme stress and try and be the ones to be the bridge between these generations. Yes. And so you find that even right here in Oakland, a lot of museums, a lot of events you go to, it's not that it's coming from an ill-intended place, but for me, a lot of the work doesn't resonate because it's just a pageant of an idea of resistance, but it's not ne necessarily responsive and agile and as complicated as what we are up against today, which is always in conversation with what's been, but requires radical imagination, requires new analyses, requires different tactics, yeah. and that should be something that's celebrated and we should feel that it's ours to reimagine. And that's very important. I think that each generation actually has to find its own response. You cannot use the, the responses of another generation because the, the conditions are never the same. Right. I think that the memory is important as, as a framework to inform action, but not to reproduce action. And mm -hmm. the conditions right now are very different than they were during the civil rights movement. So young people are confronted with um, the post-neoliberal society, the super consumer society, consumption, and the sense of being completely marginalized. And that's different than before. So they have to find responses that are appropriate to them and to how they feel. So I, I think that they have to own their responses. Yeah. And even sometimes when I listen to you tell stories of like a very hectic, fast-paced time in your life that you didn't choose when you were mm -hmm. 19 to 21, you weren't even 22 yet, all of the life you led, 
there is an exhaustion and a stress, but there's also a togetherness in the Mm -hmm. chaos that I think our time is marked by a lot of isolation and neoliberalism inherently it it works and manages itself through isolation and alienation Mm -hmm. so it's it becomes really difficult to organize when everyone's you know feeling really disconnected and so I think even though that time and you talked about this too once even having a literal enemy Mm -hmm. having tanks having things be very optically Mm -hmm. opposed I remember when I was growing up, you said you felt you felt like it was really stressful for me and my generation because the enemy wasn't always as obvious. Mm-hmm. And for you, that was like, that's going to be a really new new kind of challenge. I think that that is, that is very true. It's, it's very hard when it's, it's more... Um, it's more internalized, you know. Yeah. You, you. Uh, it could be, you know, that that through uh, Cambridge Analytica, through <laughs> Facebook, you know, fate tracking you down, and all of these things that you're not aware. So you are a willing participant, and at the same time, you're giving away a lot of your own, f- uh, you know, freedom or data or information that t- ends up conditioning your behavior. So it's a much, it's it's much more complex. Right. So I don't would never <laughs> say I, I know what to do or how to act right now. It is a comp- very different world. Um, remember when I was, I remember when I was, I was a kid, I was like 17 and I was really romanticizing <laughs> Zapatismo. And so I went with that delegation to Mexico and I, and I actually met Subcomandante de Marcos mm-hmm. and I remember him laughing at our delegation from a funny place. He wasn't being an asshole, but he was like, you're asking us to solve these like complicated sets of contradictions and struggles that are inherently American. Yeah, they're not. A- yeah. And he's like, what do you think we have? Like, and really, it was this desperation. Like we were going, we traveled all that way deep into the jungle, hoping for the magic bullet, which is hilarious because that is the most American approach to problem solving, which I really resonate with. Like I wanted the manual Hmm. of resistance. And I think that in and of itself is the hardest work is to unlearn the psyche, the the actual like deep entanglements of your expectations Mm -hmm. are still sometimes so American in that you just want it to erase it. (laughs) It, 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 The complexity is like, look at the Zuckerberg. Mm -hmm. I guess you would call it a trial, but the mediocrity of the whole thing is what stood out for me. We were talking about the banality of evil, and right. that's what it is. I mean, this guy who's one of the richest guys in the world is this bumbling, you know, bumbling idiot, you know, who has all this power. And look who we have as a president, too. We talk about, you know, it's not a towering intellect. <laughs> right. And far then it, from it. Far from it. And then it, it almost becomes this clumsy war mm-hmm. where you... And another thing that I was thinking about when I was watching Zuckerberg is it almost makes him seem so innocent and innocuous. And that's this, that's always been something, even as a kid, that really terrified me about America mm-hmm. was that there can be like a George Bush figure or even a Bill Clinton. I've always been fascinated by Bill Clinton because people give him a pass mm-hmm. because they're, they're, they're pretty charmed by like these little traits of his when he under his presidency that was really when the prison industrial complex absolutely was strategized Two strikes and you're out and even japanese internment yeah. which is our family story was under fdr yeah. yes so for me the democratic party it's this branding mm-hmm. you know this branding abracadabra trick but really it hides this intense violence because actually you that you cannot renounce the work internal work that you have to do to actually question things and find <laughs> out why you are doing what you're doing and and find out who are the people that you're associating with or, are, or that you're supporting and try to find out what are their true motivations. And right now with an era of propaganda, it's very hard to do that. Yeah. And also we are, we are so removed from our representatives. They're, they're not close. No. So we feel more alienated from those figures and that's why there's so much apathy. And I, you said something yesterday that was really true about well, we were talking about economic justice mm-hmm. as like the main axis to fight on. And you were saying that there's it's almost like there's a there's a way in which when everything becomes reduced to party politics, 
then people can shut their brain off because they can say, well, what is X person that I believe in think? And then they'll do the thinking for me and then I'll just vote along, Mm -hmm. you know? So it almost takes away when you have these rigid identities, you don't have to be as critical or as alert because I'll just vote for Laura and then whatever she thinks. It's it's okay by me. No, and that's the truth. I think that the challenge, and I'm saying this to myself too, (laughs) I'm not above the fray. I mean, the, the challenge is that now we all have to be responsible. Yeah. We all have to be educated and to really vote with our convictions, you know, and it's tough because yeah. it's very easy to fall back in a position of a default position. It's really tough. But right now we are at a point where the world requires us to be awake. Yes. And to and to really think thoroughly what we do for ourselves. So. And with that said, we're going to get into a couple more songs and then we'll be back for more conversation. So you're tuned into All Day Play FM. This is Isa Laura on Rhizomatic Radio. We'll talk to you in a second. Mother tongue, me for my ideal. Yet I see my brother's darkness. The water stays so still. Just a travel steam. Eyes grow mighty Forced from the land of their birth, taken into bondage to embark upon a journey that still hasn't ended. We've still not ascended, still haven't blended. Deeply felt pain from old wounds, still not mended. But I'm free of self pity, yet full of the knowledge of a history I refuse to let repeat. I'm a son of a son of a son of a slave, yet he and many like him were never truly in bondage, but simply prisoners of the flesh, physically bound yet mentally free. Every pain of every ancestor imbued deep within me. I bear the fruits of my mother's and father's labors. Every opportunity, every accomplishment, every victory made possible by those who made and raised us. Never forget your origins, for without the old, there is no new. Black folks in this country are unique, robbed of cultural identity, don't know who is who. So we create a new, what was taken to fill the void. Hard journey and labor culling our numbers down to only the strongest of the strong. And we here in the South are the sons and daughters of those even stronger still. Never to be forced out again, never to be broken of will. Never the loudest, the most lavish, never cared who's the baddest. These qualities present in all we sire. Never can you possess what's truly free. So never will you ever contain my fire. Love mm-hmm. 
Este samba vai para Dorival Caime, João Gilberto e Caetano Veloso. Vamos lá. O Rio de Janeiro continua lindo. O Rio de Janeiro continua sendo. O Rio de Janeiro, fevereiro e março. Alô, alô, Realê! Torcida do Flamengo, aquele abraço, alô, alô, Realengo, aquele abraço, alô, torcida do Flamengo, aquele abraço, Olha o Chacrinha continua balançando a pança e buzinando a moça e comandando a massa e continua dando as ordens no terreiro, alô, alô, seu Chacrinha, velho guerreiro, alô, alô.
back you are tuned in to all day play fm this is isa and laura who's my special guest and we are on rhizomatic radio we actually just had a technical difficulty our mouse froze so we were gonna play a couple more songs but we're back with you all and i got asked a bunch what the last song was and i hope you all check the playlist because i'm trying to be really intentional about the songs that i select based on the guest and so the last song was cesaria Vora. And that song is Sodaji, and we are just speaking. She was Cape Verdean, and so the way that it's spelled is S-O-D-A-D-E. And it is true. In Portugal, the D sounds very different. Yes, but it depends whether it's a, a Brazilian accent or a, from Portugal or Cape Verde Islands. So they have different uh, ways Accents. of pronouncing. But Sodaji would be more the Brazilian Because I was going to play Joao Gilberto's song, Saudade, mm. or Chega de... She, yeah, it's Shega, right? Yeah, Shega. Um, because I love that song as well. Can and we were talking about the um, term saudade, which kind of ties in the conversation we were having before. And it's a term I've always been fascinated by. And then my really close friend Dave Marison, who's probably not listening live, but he always would tell me in Russian they have a similar word, Tosca. And then my good friend Brian Han said, whose last name was actually Han, that Koreans have a similar word, which is Han, and it's all about a kind of a longing or a melancholy um, without necessarily a source. And you were saying yeah, also... Yeah, actually, because my uh, family comes from Galicia, in Gallego, it's Morriña. Morriña, which is also like this saudade, this nostalgia of something that is kind of undefined. Is it typically? I, I always wanted to know if saudade was typically um, related to like exile. No. 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 I think it's a nostalgia. Don't forget that countries like Brazil, people have internal migrations a lot of displacement within the country from the north to the south. So, so people are always, even within that country, from somewhere else. It happens a lot. Uh, and so that, that there's always that. And in Spain, you know, there was the poor countries that were agricultural areas uh, or fishing areas in the north. They were very poor. And so people had to come to the more industrial cities of the south. So there's always the Morriña, the Saudade, the Nostalgia, the whatever. What was your perception of Brazil growing up since it's your neighbor? Well, for us, Brazil, as such as I was growing up was music. Okay. So we grew up with Bossa Nova. We grew up with Toquinho and Vinicius de Moraes and Caetano Veloso and Dorival Caymmi. That's, that's how we learned Portuguese, really, through songs and through dancing and through playing. Everybody was playing the guitar when I was young, and we loved this music. And Argentina had a similar influence or different? No, I think in Argentina they, they, they also, it was very, very uh, strong, the bossa nova during the early 60s. Um, hmm. And Toquinho and Vinicius de Moraes traveled a lot, they, they were everywhere. But they also had their own folkloric and, uh, groups that were very powerful, you know, like Jorge Cafrune and Mercedes Sosa, and, you know, 
or the Chileans, whatever. And we were going to play some, I'm going to try and fix the mouse, but we were going to play some Drexler. Um, and yes, Jorge Drexler, Jorge that Drexler. Uruguayan who's so good. Yeah, who were some of the, like, the mo- more influential Actually, he's younger. He's not from my generation. I love him now, but, you know, when yeah, I was, was growing generation? up, was, was Numa Moraes, was um, um, Los Olimareños, uh, Cita Rosa. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So those were the ones that we listened to, which were the protest songs of our time. And also we listened, of course, to all the Chileans, Violeta Parra. Angel oh, you did. Parra, yes, Victor Jara. Los Quilapayun, Inti Limani, you know, all of those were part of our everyday life. We've been just news junkies the last couple of days trying to keep up with what's going on in Chile. And there's so much complexity that we would never try and summarize. But it seems to me, and less for you, Mom, but I think for me it seems a bit um, emotional. And we, it's a bit strange how disconnected um, I can feel from this all of this like global insurrection that's like not just in Chile, it's in Ecuador, it's in Haiti, it's actually in Hong Kong, um, in Lebanon. Yeah. And then in the US there, I'm not trying to say there aren't here, but it's it feels very because the far prosperity away. has been built on squeezing the working classes. And I think we are at a tipping point. People can't be squeezed anymore. And that what they are saying in Chile, they were saying it's not because of a 30 pesos increase in the, the fare the the of, the, of the metro, but it's of 30 years of failed promises to increase basic salaries, to have access to decent pensions, healthcare, education. So it's so that's why people are surprised and they say, you know, how come we have this kind of response for a fair rise? And it but it's 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 not that. It's it's just it's the tipping point. It's so much more. How have you seen I mean when we were visiting, it was interesting to me because I think I was always I don't know what I'm expecting when I go back to Uruguay, but I'm always trying to pay attention to the graffiti and a lot of it was veganismo <laughs> which is funny because for those who a lot of people actually know Uruguay through Anthony Bourdain who does a lot of stuff on cattle town like cattle country um, but it seems like a different political climate there now and I'm curious what is it like forging a relationship again with the country as in your at the age you are now well I'm I'm not really that familiar with that because those are younger groups yeah uh, you know my my generation it's it's not my friends are not so much vegans or vegetarians <laughs> in Uruguay uh, but uh, but the truth is that for example in a in a cattle uh, raising country where that's one of the main exports meat is very expensive actually I noticed that it's very expensive because most of the meat is for export and so what the, the meat for domestic consumption, the prices are, are, are just at the same level that they are here, which they didn't used to be like that. So meat used to be more of a staple for people, but now it's a luxury. And I think maybe veg- being a vegetarian or a vegan is not really so It's much. economical. <laughs> it's just as, as a default. But no, I, actually, Rwandans are not very vegetarians. They still have more meat, <laughs> Milanesa. And, po- meat and potatoes Chivitos. and milanesas and chivitos kind of people and I beyond I I think beyond the political climate I was more curious how it how it feels kind of creating a new relationship to the place that I'm always curious with you if it feels like you're teleporting to your childhood or if there's ever like break-ins of memories when you're because even when you were taking me around I felt sometimes I feel when I'm in your presence there are moments where you do teleport yes and I I think I'm very lucky that I have an amazing group of friends. You do. And they are my repository of memories. Thanks to them, I can I can share those memories and not feel that I am coming from another planet yeah. because they have we have those shared memories. And, and so, a lot of your friends stayed. Yeah, and they stayed. They stayed. So they were part of the process of they they are truly a a product of the whole period of change and they contributed richly to that Uh, but at the same time because I've always kept very close to them I through them I could maybe more more vicariously live 
the the process mm. but when i'm with them they make me feel that i have roots they are my roots what do you think the role of friendship is like in rhizomatic living like- i think it's essential if i didn't have friends i couldn't be the person that i am i think that we all have to cultivate friends because friends are that they are your mirror and they make you accountable they make you stay honest to who you are and especially an old friend really knows your origins you can't fake it you can't say i'm this person you know they know who you are when you how you know where you came from as a as a, as a child you know uh, what was your family like and they are aware of all the process of of evolution in your life but I think that friends are essential to to keeping some sense of authenticity and consistency with whom you are. Mm. Have you noticed any like patterns with the with the friends of yours that stayed versus the for your own personal experience? I think that my friends are amazing because they are all women that have been totally honest and truthful to whom they are, and they have stayed consistent. I can. I'm very proud of them as women. They've all had a lot of challenges in their lives, but none of them, I, I don't have a single friend of the ones that I consider my real friends that I can say, well, look, I don't even recognize them, the person that they have become. Wow. On the contrary, they have become more of who they were. So I think that they are amazing human beings. And I've always feel that I learn and I grow and I, feel nurtured by being with them and one of the unique um in my view it's unique is that the political part or that jose mujica could in his own lifetime go from 12 years prison sentence to becoming the president which is it is pretty incredible (laughs) i don't know how it's surreal and granted he was an older president but i think it's and you were explaining to me the other day that there was like i think a 19 year period transition period from dictatorship to the yeah, friend that taking they, power. They were released in, in, in 1985, but then I think he became president in 2010. The Frente the, the Amplio t- took over uh, uh, the presidency in 2005, and he was the second president's president of that. Tabare was after? or No, pre- Tabare was the first, first one, yeah. then Mujica, then Tabare again. But so, but during that time, he actually was a senator, and he, you know, he had risen through the the political uh, activity. But uh, it just just tells you what kind of you know s- strength, inner yeah. strength, and uh, endurance, and also physical and willpower to be able to overcome that because they they suffered a lot. I mean, he had a lot of mental issues uh, during the time of, 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 of solitary confinement they were completely isolated so I mean I don't know how they did it I think for me it's a, an instructive exercise to read and learn from yeah you and that generation because so often and we're we've talked about this a lot is there's like the idea of pushing against or resisting which is separate from what you would build in its place. And I think the older I get, the more I'm trying to challenge myself to think of. um, And actually, Tongo and I last show were talking about how the Zapatistas have always kind of helped us with that. It's like the critique is really important and so is the analysis, but you need to think about what if you win. Mm -hmm. And so much of the left is like this apologist, defeatist mentality of we'll never win. So we don't even plan for if we do. Yeah, and that was one of the problems of you know, the criticisms, you know, to the Frente Amplio that after a while, they are the official party. Right. You know, is to understand you've been in power for 15 years. So now we are the official party. We're not the opposition. And sometimes we have to, uh, it's a change in mentality. You have to act as the official party. You can make decisions. You can do things. You know, you have that power. It's, it's always easier to be against something than to actually say, what, what, but what do you propose? Yeah. They have done a lot of things. I'm very proud of them, of, of, their, of their 15 years in power. But there's always, that is a dialogue that needs to continue. Like, what are you affirming? What are you for? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of my friends and I struggle with that. Like in our 30s, coming into more positions of leadership on a very small scale, mm-hmm. that doesn't have much impact in any like global reach sense or nation sense. But even on that scale, it's very difficult to manage 
um, being a kind of like a, a rebellious <laughs> young person and trying to really step into power, N- not power, but trying to step into leadership, whatever mm-hmm. that might mean, mm-hmm. and, and own that because the most irresponsible thing you can do is not take it at all because then you can't actually contend with it because you're always kind of shirking it or it becomes this visible invisible force and that keeps you honest you have to and and one of the problems i think is that what made it strong was what they call the comité de base which was to be grounded in the base and they have you know, discussion meetings where people felt in, felt invested and participated and felt their voice was heard. And after you stay in power for too long, you know, everybody starts to feel very comfortable yeah. and you fall back into kind of more of an institutional approach. And I think that it's, it's important to have these reminders in, in for every organization. You have to keep it real, you have to keep it fresh, you have to keep people engaged in conversation and invested. And you have to create that dedication and commitment to self-reflection and then reflection on, mm-hmm. it, depending on what your position is. Because if you don't have the kind of like yeah. um, dialectic in place, then it's easy to just get really comfortable and then suddenly you become that which you spent your entire life absolutely and it's easy to just criticize and just sit in your in your comfortable sofa and just keep saying you know your moral high ground your moral high ground but then it's really hard to be down there in the trenches and really think you know what is it that this situation requires you know how can we find solutions that work for for real people People. and and, and in real specific conditions not just abstract i think that's where today's conversation really speaks nicely to tongos because without having and we you know without daily activities and without community and people to actually be accountable to it's kind of you're just floating in these very like narrow individualized opinions that don't necessarily you can't necessarily use it's just you know and I'm, I'm, I love Twitter, but it's just contributing sometimes to an echo mm-hmm. that leaves you feeling pretty lonely and dizzy and it leaves you feeling a bit powerless. Mm-hmm. So I think the closer I get to understanding how to suggest and recommend things, and it's really difficult, I'm not saying it's easy, but that's even this radio show is that attempt. Like how do you create something if you have the privilege to and then welcome people into it? Because if we're not creating that, um, those mechanisms for people to participate, then it becomes this safe distance. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone really feels comfortable in. Mm-hmm. It's just the, con- the sets of conditions. And I think that the responsibility of holding power is to take a step back and listen. Hmm. Because we need to listen. We need to listen and go back to the communities, go back to, to, to your stakeholders and just to see what is it not from me up here to decide these are the main issues, yeah. but what are the issues for you? What are the issues for this community or what are the issues for this particular location or whatever? And, and, and listen to people. And then, then from that listening together, you can find some other solutions. But it's very easy to just come from above and just you know, parachute with solutions that have nothing to do with reality. I would very much argue that's what we're deeply embedded in in the states is like the people who get to define the problem also coincidentally get to come up with the solutions Mm -hmm. and they're all for people who aren't at the table um well it's 505 (laughs) so thank you so much for joining me in the studio you haven't been here in years yes thank you for having me it's such a pleasure to be here yeah so hopefully you'll be back soon and then for everyone listening thank you so much and for those of us joining in the archives thank you as well go to adp.fm and stay tuned for the lives for the stream of this episode that you can download and check out the playlist so this has been another episode of rhizomatic radio on all day play fm and i'll be with you all in two weeks thursday 4 p.m pst enjoy your lovely thursday